guys. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's doing great today. Yes, on this Monday. Monday. It's Monday afternoon, start of a new week. Yeah, last week of Titus. Getting ready for yep. the big unveiling of Isaiah. Yes, yes, which means I've got a lot of work to do, don't I? Is you that do. what that means? You do. It does. You do. It does. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good journey. But it'll be a big journey for all of us, I think. For me, for everybody, it's just this. Um, there was a great book called by a scholar named Brevard Charles, and it was something like the, sort of like the struggle, maybe the struggle to read Isaiah as Christian scripture over the last 2,000 years. Wow. Christians have seen in Isaiah a lot of Jesus, and how to bring that out, that's the question. But that's what we're going to do, starting at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Yes. Of course. Yes. Right? We will. Okay. So, we're glad y'all are here on this day, you know. So, first of all, everybody's weather ready. Just yes. this is a public service announcement <laughs> we make from time to time. If you're not a person who keeps keeps up with the wet with the weather, make sure you do this week. It's going to get undoubtedly bad Wednesday night and on Thursday. Cold, wintry mix, sleet. They're they're sure it's going to be. They don't exactly what it's going to be, but they're sure it's going to be something and it's not going to be a good day to be out on thursday no, so there you all. go today's beautiful yes um yesterday was nice tomorrow i think will be fine yes so let's see what's new with you betty what's new well well not much since yesterday but um <laughs> i i did have a prayer request that came in early today and it is from carl and diana reeves who are part of this class they have moved too far away from St. Andrew to come in person, of course, but they're with us every single solitary Monday and a lot of times on Sunday. And their daughter, Sarah, is having a double mastectomy today. I am not sure if she is in surgery right now or what exactly the timing is of that, but um, I've been asked that we please pray for her, pray for her family, pray for the surgeons, pray for her recovery. Um, this is a This is a big... This is a big deal. A yeah. Big, big surgery. And we do want to pray for her. We sure and do. a happy note I see that Candy is on. And, and Mike. Candy and Mike. Well, I think Candy is Mike too, really? Himself? Well, I think they've each signed in separately. Wow. Well, you we know. are so glad. Mike had some serious heart surgery last week and um, some little issues popped up, but thankfully everything was able to be. Fixed. Candy says he's recovering nicely. And he's recovering nicely. That's that super. is great. And um, our friend who used who also moved away, Cora Marburger, is on today. And Cora, you know that we have been praying for you too, dear. Hope you're having a good day today, Cora. We hope you're having a really good day. We're, we always, um, you know, I see your little name pop up, and I'm just really glad to know that you're there. So, um, just you know, it's just that time right now. A friend said to me the other day, like, why is it? that everyone we know has something going on. And I said, I think it's because we're all getting older and the yeah. people we know and love and care about are yeah. all getting older yeah. too. And just the older That's we get, what happens. luckier we are that we're here and healthy. And yeah. But man, yeah, there's, there's just so many people um, that we love and care about right now that are um, in the middle somewhere yes. of, of healing. Yes. And um, so we, uh, if you have any prayer requests today, please put them on the list. We totally, Scott and I, believe in the power of prayer. Um, doesn't always happen immediately, and sometimes it doesn't even come back exactly the way we expected. But 
we both really believe in in praying. We do. Yep. So every night we do pray. Yeah. Together. Coming on twenty four years. Yeah. We've been praying every night there together. We go. So and a couple times during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's time to start. But okay. uh, all of a sudden, look, the sun came sun out. Sun came out. We're lit up now. A few minutes ago, it was dark and gloomy in here. So now we'll, now we'll pray. Sun's yes. out, we'll pray. How you about that? right ahead, dear. All right, gracious Lord, we come here today gathered, um, remembering those who, in particular, who need our prayers. We come here in fellowship as, as, as your people to study your word. And as we work through the final section of Titus today, um, we want you to, we ask that your Holy Spirit move among us, open these words up for us, help us to, to grasp the message better than we ever have before, to become better as a readers of Scripture, um, so that we can become better disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. All right. Move over and let you so get Patty's going to scoot around, and we are sure enough today going to finish up Titus because next week we're going to be in Isaiah. So we are in Titus chapter three. Um, we got a little ways into it. I'm just going to go back to the first verse to read our way toward where we finished up um, last week. So let me get my glasses on here so I can actually see something. And so, you know, we just context, we just finished up the section where Paul has given Titus instructions about how to help the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women or that whole stuff. Kind of like a household code we talked about for the last couple of weeks. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he's kind of wrapping that up a bit. He says, remind the people... To be subject to rulers and authorities, right? They are supposed to be good citizens. Why are they supposed to be good citizens? Because that is part of how they will be a good witness to others. That is a part of how they will get others to listen to them proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really have come to think that that desire of Paul and Jesus, for us to be good witnesses, means that has a lot of implications for how we live. And, um, and, and it's, I think it's a key part of why Paul teaches what he does about how the people are to live. So he says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do, right, this is very Paul, to be ready to do. Okay, what do Christians do? What do the people of Jesus do? Whatever's good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle toward everyone. Okay? So, I was thinking about this a little bit um, uh, earlier. And... You know, it's kind of like you have this moment in Paul, it happens so often, where you're really getting a little glimpse into the kingdom of God, into heaven, right? Um, and just as a reminder, whoops, what was that? <laughs> Those keys did not do what I thought they were going to do. Okay. Okay. So not that's the one I'm looking for. So... We live 
in the last days. We live in the days between Jesus' first coming and his second. And the kingdom of God arrived in Christ. That's what the top line is all about. Salvation, new creation, new covenant, new temple. Alongside the bottom line, which is the present age of sin and death that goes way back to the story of creation and, and the fall. So we live in the orange box. And one day, God's dimension, heaven, will become all that is. It will just it will just be it will it will transform all of creation and all of creation will be renewed and restored. And what will that be like? Well, just imagine you lived in a world in which everyone was ready to do whatever is good. Look at chapter 3. To do whatever is good, slandering no one, to live peaceably, always considerate of one another, always gentle toward everyone. I mean, what if that characterized every single day of our lives? It should now, and we can certainly choose to live that way now. There's really nothing keeping us from doing whatever is good, from avoiding slander and gossip, to to just not speaking ill of people. Can you put the chart back up, honey, for a minute while you're talking? Yeah, okay. To be peaceable and considerate. We can live that way now. To always to be gentle toward everyone. We can live that way now. It's Paul's expectation that we will live that way now because we have been born again. Born a second time. We are the people of the age to come. To go back a slide, <laughs> I, should, I guess I had these in the wrong order. This is one of my favorite paintings. It, it, this is Nicodemus on the left talking to Jesus, who's got the little, uh, you know, the little holy, holy halo, we might call it, around his head. And from John 3, when Nicodemus comes and he says, what's going on? And Jesus explains to him, well, you have to be born, if you're going to get this, you have to be born again, a second time. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He thinks Jesus is being literal. But Jesus, of course, is being literal in the sense of coming out of your mother's womb a second time. What he means is that in Christ, we are reborn. We are made into new people. The old is gone. The new has come. We take off the old clothing, the old self, and put it away. And God puts us into a new self with new clothing. Uh, There's so many words in the New Testament around this, right? And it is what, it is the consequence of the arrival of the kingdom of God, evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus, bringing the reconciliation with God that came on the cross at the beginning of that orange box. And we now live, yes, I know it's 2,000 years into the box, but come on, What's 2,000 years? It's not really a lot. Not really a lot in the big scheme of things. Okay? So I, that's what I like about chapter, to go back to chapter 3, um, verses 1 and, and 2. What I like is 
is this just this little short little picture, just a little reminder of who, more than who we are to be. It's who God has made us into. And it's a glimpse into life in the kingdom of God, life in heaven, right? Because heaven comes to earth. The old idea that you floated up into the clouds and disappeared to somewhere in the galaxy, no. Heaven in that sense is not our home. This planet is our home. Revelation 21 and 22, this planet is our home. It will be transformed, it will be renewed, it will be restored, all those words you want to back around it, fine. But it is, we will be resur bodily resurrected with feet on the ground. And so then, in verse 3, Paul looks to those who have not yet come to Christ, who are not yet part of this, who have chosen against it, chosen against Christ, who have rejected this, this, this new life. And so Paul writes, at one time, we too, right? Because at one time, you can imagine what Paul is thinking with regard to himself. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He says, at one time we too were foolish. We were disobedient. That would be to God. Deceived. Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Dot, dot, dot. That ran away with us. Created havoc in our lives and chaos in our lives. We lived in malice and envy. There's a reason envy is one of the seven deadly sins. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And he's drawing the contrast. You see, I'm going to put that picture up, that slide up again if I'm there. Okay. He's the, the, when he says at one time we too were, he's now looking at the bottom line. The age of sin and death, the enemies of God, what the Jews would call the present age and contrasting it with the age to come, the age in which you and I are citizens. Now, now, now. It's not something you're just waiting for someday. It's now. That's the New Testament teaching that is New Testament. It's in the New Testament from beginning to end and including big pieces of the Old Testament, and we just don't see it. So to go back to chapter 3, verse 3, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, <laughs> but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, that's God's kindness, that's God's love, this is God the Savior appeared. He saved us. Go ahead and underline that. It's so brief. It's so short. Three words. He saved us. God saved us. We do not in any measure save ourselves. We don't, we don't work our way out of this. We don't. It isn't because we're going to get smarter or do enough of the... He saved us. Short, sweet, to the point, three words. And then he's going to go on and, and draw the contrast for us. He says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. That's where much of the world is. 
the World War Legends, by and large, are focused on how many righteous slash good things you can pile up in your life. And even in still largely Christian America, there's a lot of residue of Christianity, at least across every swath of America. If you ask people, are you good enough to get to heaven, as Gallup does, two-thirds will say, yeah, I think so. I'm a pretty good person. I think I've done enough good things. Because it's just so darned appealing to us to do it ourselves. <laughs> think if you go, think you go to the library, you go to the bookstore, you go online to Amazon, think how many DIY books you can find. DIY television shows. There are so many do-it-yourself television shows, gardens, houses, everything. There's probably going to be DIY surgery shows or something someday. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We have all this stuff that surrounds us that of course we end up thinking that it's, ah, yeah, it's about what we do. But it's not. Paul writes, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Period, not really a period there, but in the thought, period, paragraph, end of story. Don't add anything to that. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Ephesians chapter 2, right? It is God who has saved us. Not we ourselves. We have not done this. None of us meet God's glorious standard. He saved us. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It's just, it's just, it's just who God, it's just who God is. It's just who God is. That's why it's so important in the Bible to come to understand who I mean, you, you come to know God. What you want to know is who who is God. And you want, want to know the character of God. Most people out in the world spend way too much time on the question of, well, what, is there really a God? It, it's not the big question. The big question is all about the character of God. That's the question. So, and in Exodus chapter 34, God himself tells us who he is. So just, just listen to this for a second. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. That's God's character. Why? You, you don't have to ask, why is God merciful? Why does God pour his grace out upon the world? Why does God love? That's who God is. 
It flows out of God the way water flows out from a spring. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Get that out of your mind. But because of his mercy, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his love, as demonstrated across scripture. I mean, it, if you come honestly to the Bible and you you pick up after the fall, right, and after they've rebelled against God, and you see what the people do and how far they strive to run away from God and the terrible things they do to each other and the terrible things they do to God in ignoring him and worshiping pagan gods and even to the point of at one time offering a human sacrifice. Well, it's remarkable that God stays. Why does God stick around? Why, does God re why is God relentless in his pursuit of these people, of you and me? Because that's who God is. Verse 5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. His mercy. A big word, mercy. His compassion. His mercy. So, and we come to a sentence which Christians have talked about a great deal. And there are different ways to read it, but for me, this is not one of the places where the answers lie in the details. There's a New Testament scholar and very important guy in the late 20th century, James Dunn, and I think he gets it right when he says what Paul is doing here is offering a, a fully formed view of a Christian. So, so don't pull it all apart. Leave it all packed together. Just all packed together. Okay, so with that little introduction, he writes, Paul writes, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Um, the word there, um, often used just to speak of bathing, could, could, so it obviously could mean baptism. Does it have to mean baptism? Maybe not, but regardless, you don't even have to argue about it. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That Christians are marked by what? We do baptize. That doesn't mean baptize is a means of salvation. We, we, are, we are saved by God when we accept, when we, when we, how? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, okay, when we trust him and don't fight, don't, don't run away from Christ. Baptism is not that. In the fancy words, baptism is, baptism is not salvific. Baptism doesn't save. 
okay? But we do baptize, and we Christians are reborn, and we are renewed by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, as happened at Pentecost. And in all the other stories in the New Testament, as the, as the, as the gospel works outward in these Christian communities, yes, Yes, and then later, Paul will write back to the Christian communities. And what, what does he say to them? He says, will you remember? Will you remember? It's like he grabs them by the lapels and says, will you remember what God has done in you, for you, through you? You have been baptized. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are God's people. <laughs> so straighten up. Straighten up. Fly right. So start acting like it. Yeah, and the old Nat King Cole song, straighten up, fly right. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think, I think interpreters have made just just too much out of trying to dice up that sentence, which I think is straightforward. He saved us. We're Jesus's people, and he saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal, and by the Holy Spirit. These these are these are just. This, this is what makes up being a Christian, right? It's what we do. And it's wonderful that Paul particularly marks out the work of the Holy Spirit, whom you know is God with us, God's empowering presence with us. If you think of God sitting by your bedside as you're ill, it is the Holy It is the Holy Spirit who is with you. Because the Spirit that dwells in you is God's empowering presence with you in good times and bad. So Paul writes, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us. Poured out. That's such a wonderful picture, isn't it? Whom he poured out on us. Whoosh. I will sometimes say in small terms, in terms of uh, um, maybe like the water being poured out over a baby at baptism, maybe a waterfall pouring out on us. Whom he poured out on us generously through whom? Jesus Christ, our Savior. It all begins with Jesus. It is all focused on Jesus. There is no way to God except through Jesus because Jesus is God. It's illogical to hold anything else if Jesus is who he claimed to be and whom his followers claimed him to be. Then, of course, yes. I'm doing John's Gospel on Tuesday now. Time and again, Jesus has said, the Father and I are one. I do what he does. He does what I do. They share a will. They share a purpose. Some people grasp it. Some people see it. Some people believe it. Some people don't. But it's truth. Whom he poured out on us. Whom, whom, let me just make one little comment right there. Right at, right at the beginning of verse 6 in the NIV. Notice how he said he writes, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. 
If the Holy Spirit were like the Force in Star Wars, what would you say? It. Or a witch. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us. And no, I'm not a witch. <laughs> Fatty's certainly not a witch. Well, thanks, son. Yeah, you're so welcome. Right? No, a person. So, of course, whom, whom, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 7. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Okay, so that having been justified by his grace, justified is this, remember, it is, here's, here's, how, to, here's how to do this. We, ne we do not, just as we don't have anymore the verb form of the word faith, so we use the word believe instead, and it's kind of misleading sometimes, because believe is a very intellectual word, and faith is more of a heart word. And in the pistis word in the Greek is more of a heart word. The same thing has happened with the word righteous. We have, we can speak of someone as being righteous, an act is righteous, those are adjectives. We can speak of righteousness, but nobody says righteous sing, or I righteous yesterday. So the verb form of righteous has been lost to us. And what we use instead is this word justified. And I think for many Christians it gets terribly confusing. When it really shouldn't be. If, if, we, if we put a couple little sentence pieces together, um, uh, look back up at verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, Verse 7, so that having been righteous by his grace, you see, they're connected that way. But you lose all that connection because we have to use this word justified here since we lost, I don't know who lost it, <laughs> but we in the English language, we lost the verb form of this fantastic word righteous. And it's too bad because it makes reading the Bible a lot, a lot harder. Scott, doesn't Paul say things very similar to that in a lot of other places about us not taking any credit, that no one should boast about their their Ephesians salvation? Ephesians chapter 2. Don't boast. Don't, you got nothing to boast about. You're not more spiritual than your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your cousin, your friend, just because you've come to know Jesus, right? No, you have nothing to boast about. God's mercy has been poured out and you haven't fought it. Okay. Right? Mona did put something here about, um, like you're talking about your, you know, you've got God's grace now, act like it, kind of. Uh -huh. She said, you know, Paul's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Paul is so great in helping Christians know how they should behave. Yes, and why should they behave it? This is this is one of my new teaching things in the, in the last week. And if you need to turn off overheads, you can and open the blinds, which I've already turned off. It's just getting dark and light and I'm dark sorry. and light in here. That's the Andy problem. Andy was saying he had a glare. Yeah. But Andy, I think the glare is coming from off My Scott's bald head. head. No, it's coming <laughs> off your, your glasses from you looking at your computer screen. Okay, well, you can turn, you can turn off lights and we'll work the blinds for a while. It's all good. Okay. Um, you might just... Turn the anyway. anyway. What do you want me to turn on? There's the two switches right over there. Yes. And off. Okay. 
and we'll just see how we do without them. Because I hear you. Okay. Oh, I'm in wow, the dark. you're really dark. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're lights, stuck. Scott. Turn them back on. We're stuck. Glare, no glare. I'm in the dark. I'm in the dark. Okay. So why does Paul so often tell us how we should behave? What is that about? I guess right? we need a lot of reminding. It is because he isn't simply laying out ways for us to be better people. Though that's helpful. That is helpful. That, that's when we talk about the virtues and the Greek philosophers and stuff. That's kind of what's going on. But for Paul, you see, the this life that we live is given us by God. And we need to live in the kingdom of God even as we walk our days through the present age of sin and death. Which means what? What does that fancy word stuff, that word salad mean? Look up at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Be ready to do whatever's good. Don't slander anyone. Be peaceable. Considerate. Always gentle toward everyone. We can choose to do that. And when we choose to do that, not only are we living this king, a kingdom life, as some people will call it, but we are being a good witness to others, you see? We're being a good witness to others. We haven't even talked about what it might mean for us to, to just kind of be better people. It's a good witness to others when they see us being the ones who won't gossip, who are gentle in the face of violence who are humble, who are peaceable. And I think that, that's, that, that's, for Paul, that's the whole thing. That's the, he, he knows this movement has to get somewhere. And he's confident in the work of the Holy Spirit in that, but he knows that we, God, God, in God's great glory, to God's great glory, and in God's great wisdom, has chosen to work with us in the furthering of God's work on this planet. I mean, Jesus left 2,000 years ago. His spirit, The Spirit of Christ is still among us because the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. But, but, but Jesus returned to the Father and, and the church was born. And now we've been about this project for 2,000 years trying to carry out the Great Commission and stuff. So God chooses to work with us. It's just the most remarkable thing. I mean, really. Wow. Well, so back to verse 7. I'm trying not to use so much word salad. So that having been righteous by God's grace, you see, having been declared innocent in the right by God's grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Heirs. Heirs of what? Heirs of the kingdom of God. Heirs alongside Jesus. We'll be heirs of God's promises. All the great promises that God made to Abraham and to his family, even though we are, don't have a shred of, 
of Abraham's DNA in our veins, we become heirs of that promise, of those promises. And so this business of becoming heirs alongside Jesus, really, um, are is just a hit. That's a common way Paul has of talking about our life in Christ, our our life in the kingdom. We so that we could become heirs, having the hope, the certain hope, right? This is a certain hope, a sure hope. It's not like a lottery hope. It's a sure hope. It just it's just speaking to the largeness of it and not just the presentness of it, but the future of it. The hope of eternal life. So, um, because that is what God offers us. That's you know, it's it's people get it's so easy, I think, for people in this life to reject to turn away from God, to reject Jesus for all kinds of reasons. But so many people come to come to their ends in fear and apprehension. When when knowing Christ will enable us to come to our end of this life in anticipation of our life after death to come to our end in peace knowing that we are Christ's and knowing that no death will not hold us that we will enjoy a life after death we don't know much about it Bible doesn't tell us much about it and it is anticipatory it anticipates our life after life after death our own resurrection when I'll be able to, like I've said so many times, hug my granddad again or hug my mother again now that she's passed. I mean, these are the promises that God lays out in front of us. The promises that are embedded in this story, these this long, this long history of of God's work in this world, and. It just saddens me that so many people just they just think they don't have time for it, or it's gonna it's gonna going get in their way too much, or when in reality, it's it's life saving not just for the next not just for eternal life but in this life, <laughs> that's the thing it's in this life. So in any event, there's this. So the, look at the beginning of chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. That's looking backwards. What was the trustworthy saying? This big passage here. So well, let's just read through it and let the words wash over us, okay? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that having been righteous by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a true saying. It's a true story we tell. If you've noticed, I don't know if you have, but in the background studies that I'm writing right now, ever since, ever since we started the God Is series, I have this little introductory piece in bold print at the beginning of, after the scripture, there's this little introductory paragraph. And I always, I'm entitling it now, every week, the true story. Right? Because somebody told me a lot of people don't like to use the word story anymore, as if there are no true stories. Story just means it's fiction. Well, that's ridiculous. Learn the English language, people. It's a true story. It's a true story. And so I'm beginning that little section each week, the true story. And so Paul writes in chapter, in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a true saying. It's happened. It's so. And then he goes on, and I want to stress, I want you to stress these things, Titus. I want you to stress them. How much has Paul talked about sound doctrine just in this little brief letter? I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful. Interesting, isn't it? May be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. There you go. <laughs> you want to know what the life of a disciple is? It's not complicated. Do what's good. From whom do you learn where, what, what's good? From God, Jesus, Paul, maybe certain people in your life who understand Scripture and and have the lived experience of, of in the real world doing, strive, striving to do what is good and refusing to throw up their hands and saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to call us hypocrites anyway. No, nope. Nope, it's not that hard. It's, it's not that hard to be ready to do whatever's good, to avoid slandering, to be peace, peaceable, considerate, gentle toward everyone. Nope, not that hard. Paul would just say, well, do it. Okay? You have anything to add right here, Miss Patty? No, I don't. Anybody don't. No. out there no. in the larger world? <laughs> co my coffee's still hot. You know why that is? Because you have your ember mug. Yeah, Robert Savannah gave, gave gave me an ember mug for Christmas to go with. I have to have this wonderful little tea mug, kind of a coffee mug um, that has that they work in tandem together because the, the little tea one never because it has a heating pad. It's good all for hours. But this is also fantastic. If you don't have one, ask somebody who loves you to get you one for your next birthday. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I got mine. So right away, I thought to myself, oh, Patty's got a birthday coming up, which is always a challenge. So I got her one, and she's been using it. The other thing that accomplished meant that that accomplished was it meant that she stopped using mine. <laughs> so I could use mine. But anyway, yeah, enough of that, Salinas. Okay, so look at verse 9. Now now Paul is not done. He, he's, he says, Timothy, stress these, right? Stress these, these things. 
so that those who have trusted God, put their faith in God, and their faith in Christ, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Because that stuff is excellent for everybody. It's profitable for everyone. Not in the sense of your income, your money, but in terms of the life we are called to lead. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies. It is important that he put the word foolish in front of that because, you know, controversies aren't bad in and of themselves, but there are a heck of a lot of foolish ones out there that people just like to argue about. That is largely what fuels social media. Ugh. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. Jews in particular love to argue about and talk about genealogies and stuff. Not anything Paul's interested in anymore. Foolish controversies, genealogies, foolish arguments, quarrels about the law. That would be the law of Moses, almost certainly. Because these are unprofitable and useless. Right? It's just saying don't waste your time on that stuff. You could think about the world we live in in 2021 and think about the things that Paul would say to you. Why are you devoting so much of your time and headspace and mind to thinking about? And he would just say, just let it go. Con foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And that whole sentence is a setup to what's coming. Warn a divisive person once. And then warn them a second time. So, a divisive person. Oh, man. We probably all know somebody who just likes to argue Stirring the pot, making trouble. Sometimes like at family bills, you know, cousin so-and-so who shows up, who always wants to set somebody off, say the one thing that's going to really get dad angry or whatever like that. Um, do you Can you find divisive people in a church? You sure can. I can name a few from the past. I'd have Please trouble. don't. <laughs> yeah, I would have trouble naming them. Yeah. Any of them right now at St. Andrew. I honestly, I, I don't. But yeah, they're out there. And see, St. Andrew is so big, there's limited damage that kind of person can do. Because um, we, we're just so gigantic. But for a small little church, ah, they're called sometimes called church killers. For these people, these are brand new communities of brand new Jesus people. They don't have any New Testaments. They got no Bible studies. They got none of that. It's so It would be so easy to wreck one of these communities. And so Paul, in various places in his letters, has to deal with people who seem bent on wrecking things, maybe just to satisfy some need within themselves. So here he writes, warn, Timotitus warned a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. So they get two warnings. And then on the third, they haven't straightened up and stopped it. Then Titus says to have nothing to do with them. And I think that, you know, I guess people might 
view that as, wow, you know, what are you saying? Send them away? And Paul does do that. Actually, in his letter to the Corinthians, he does tell them it's time for so-and-so to leave. It seems in 2 Corinthians that he's saying it's time for so-and-so to come back. It's not clear it's the same person. But yeah, and I get it completely because these are such fragile communities. But why don't you turn, as long as we have a few minutes here, to Matthew 18, verse 15. And we're going to hear Jesus for a second, just, just so you know that there's nothing weird about um, Paul here. I'm just reminding you, you have like 20, 25 Oh, we're going to get there. Okay, just... Thank you, dear. I know that this is... If I run to 425 today, by golly, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at, okay, ver, chapter 18, verse 15. So this is Jesus, okay? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Great advice. If they listen to you, you want them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter will may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> right? So like, wow. So, so Jesus in Matthew 18 has his escalation in dealing with troublesome, divisive people as Paul does here in Titus. We'll warn him, we'll warn him again, but third time, just don't have anything to do with him. think it's pretty, pretty sensible. And if a few churches in the past had taken this to heart, they would have been saved as opposed to wrecked by the church killers. So, verse 11 Back in Titus chapter 3. My coffee is still warm. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Okay, we're now, just so you know, this is Scott Engel, meteorologist. We're now under a winter storm watch. Okay, in anticipation of what's coming on Wednesday night. Just, just so you know. All right, verse 11. You may be sure that such people, these divisive people, are warped. <laughs> they are sinful and the interesting word, they are self-condemned. This isn't anything God is doing to them. This is, They're doing this to themselves. They're going to get themselves removed from the church, from the body of Christ. They're, they are going to be self-condemned. Their ruin is going to be their own work. And could anything be sadder than that? Nope. I don't think so. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. And they are self-condemned. I think Paul probably just wants Titus to understand that this, this is, it isn't that Titus is going to be the bad guy here. The people are themselves are being, are the problem, if he has any of these. And I'm guessing since Paul is writing this in this very brief letter that they have had a problem or two or three in the Crete, Cretan churches. Okay? 
Okay, Patty, so anything before we go on to the closing remarks? No, no, we no? are good. Yeah. We're good? Yeah, just wasn't sure how long those closing remarks were going to take. Well, you know how it is with me. It could take five I could minutes. start preaching it, baby. <laughs> I could start preaching it. We'll be here at dinner time. So, okay. All right. So, so I, I love these kind of closing parts. This one is a real short one. It's very quick. It's pretty clear that Paul had said everything he wanted to say, and now he's just going to wrap it all up. Boom, boom. Get it, get it done. There's none of the I'm now picking the pen up myself kind of thing, um, as with some of his other letters. We can never be sure how these letters come to exi exist as Paul write them. Um, we know that Paul doesn't always write them in his own hand. Did he write this one in his own hand? Did he compose it over some period of time, sort of piece by piece? You just, you just can't know. We know that Paul is, is always with a group of a people around him, um, a group of associates, a group of companions, a group of helpers who are with Paul in this work. Um, it would not be safe for Paul to, to try to travel 10,000 miles, largely on foot, around the Roman Empire all by himself. I mean, the world is a lot safer at this time than it had been 50 or 100 years before, but it's still, it's still a pretty wild world. So, Here's what he writes. Chapter 3, verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. Now, we really don't know Artemis. We do know Tychicus from other places and other letters. So it would seem that Paul is closer to Tychicus. But he's going to choose one of the two to go to Crete. One of the two of them are going to go to Crete. Paul's just going to send a letter saying, Artemis... You need to get down to Crete and help out Titus. Or Tychicus, you need to get down to Crete and help out Titus. Titus. As soon as I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Because I've decided to winter there. Okay, so here is... Let's go on to the little map I brought. The red arrow is showing what is probably the Nicopolis we're talking about. It was a fairly common name, um, but that's probably the place. It's where Paul wants to spend the winter, and he would like to have Titus with him. But to do that, he's going to have to send somebody down in charge, and that is going to be either Artemis or Tychicus, uh, down to Crete. You can see at the bottom there, the big island, Phoenix, Fair Havens. Okay? Because... You know, people didn't, you didn't really travel by sea around the Mediterranean in the wintertime. Even when you did travel by boat, you stayed pretty close to shore if you could because it's just dangerous and the vessels weren't like the vessels we have now, of course. So he's going to spend the winter at Nicopolis, which tells you that this letter is probably written, I don't know, Late summer, something like that, maybe. Early fall. And then he says to Titus, Now do everything you can to help two people. Zenus, the lawyer. 
a lawyer working in the, the law of Moses or a lawyer working in the law of Rome, probably the latter. This would be this would be a Christian, well educated in Greco-Roman law and in general, who he's come to know Jesus. And he is doing ministry of some kind. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. Now, Apollos we know. We meet Apollos in the book of Acts. We encounter Apollos in Corinthians. He is a prominent evangelist working around the Mediterranean. Isn't that something? He's a prominent evangelist working around the Mediterranean. And... Um, there were other evangelists working in other parts of the world. It's easy to kind of see the story of the early church as only being the story we get told in the book of Acts, but it wasn't. It was a larger movement than is told in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, by the time you get to chapter 11, 12, it's gonna sh it focuses on Paul the apostle and his work. But that doesn't mean there aren't other people doing work, some of whom are under Paul's tutelage, some of whom are not. I don't think Apollos sees himself as under Paul's tutelage. Paulus is doing his own thing. And um, it's not that he's competing against Paul, obviously, but they're all just, there's a lot of ground to cover, isn't there? There is. A lot yeah. of ground to cover. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. So that's a big endorsement for these two men from Paul to tell Titus, you got to help them, get them what they need. He doesn't lay in it, spell any of it out. He doesn't have to. Titus is a capable man. He can figure that out. But whatever Titus can do to be helpful to those two, he's supposed to do. And then Paul says in verse 14, our people, meaning the Christians on Crete, must learn to devote themselves to what? <laughs> Doing what is good. Right? So it's just so funny because Paul is really a good teacher. I mean, you know, they, they say if you're going to teach people things, you say it, and then you say it again, and then you say it a third time. Well, that's kind of Paul. Okay, even in this short letter, how many times has he said this? But, gosh, it needs to be said. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. That's another insight into Paul. Um... It's pretty clear there were those in the Christian communities who felt that, well, you know, Jesus is about to come back. So what we really need to do is just kind of wait. And so they would sit in their hammocks, figuratively, of course, and just kind of do nothing and not really contribute to the communities and stuff. And Paul won't have any of that. The end of another letter, specifically which one is escaping me at this moment, he says, everybody works. <laughs> everybody works. You know, it's a, it's a, maybe it's driven by Paul's being a good, righteous, 
Pharisaic Jew. He knows that work was given by God in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Work isn't bad. Work is part of God's created order. We make a wreck of work, right? We make work demanding and awful in, a, in, a, in this sinful world. But work in itself, it's a powerful good, an important good, when it is fulfilling and, and, and necessary and productive. And so Paul wants them, yes, to lead, to meet their needs. Winter's coming, that's clear. Nobody can just be sitting around on the hammocks waiting. There's no social net there. There's no checks coming into everybody. Um, people have to tend to the needs of the community, and they have to live productive lives. They can't just lay in that hammock, sort of, sort of waiting around. Just you still have the map on? Oh, I do have the map on. Maps off now. Yeah, I don't know why. You wouldn't want to prefer to see a map. But anyway, there we go. So Paul says in verse 14, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Which implies what? That tending to urgent needs, doing what is needed, and being productive, those are both good things. Right? Those are, those are good things. Making sure your family can eat. That's a, that's a good thing. You know, you, you're not expected to spend every moment of every day on your knees in prayer while your family starves. No, that's not, that's not what God wants. You know, it's good to feed you, to, to, feed you, to be able to feed your family, to put a, house, a roof over people's houses and stuff. Now, we can carry it to a far extreme, right, is, is our way. We have a way of turning every need, every want, into a need. But um, urgent needs, that, that's a good little modifier there. Urgent need. And not live unproductive lives. So then he simply wraps it up and he says, verse 15, Everyone with me, because he's always got that group. He's got a pot. What do they call it? Posse, Patty? Yeah. A posse. He always got a posse with him. Everyone with me sends you greetings. And I just, those kind of lines, I just, it's easy for my imagination just to picture people around. They're working with Paul. They're living with Paul, helping Paul. The recipients are, the senders are, just, just, it's just awesome. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. This is about the community of faith. Bound together by a love of Christ and a love for each other. Greet those who love us in the faith. The Christian faith is what he means, obviously, right? Their shared faith in Jesus Christ. That's what binds them together. Their shared faith in Jesus Christ, which is lived out in their experience of the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of them and binds them together. And then he says, Grace be with you all, because it's a plural there at the end. There are a few other plurals that sneak up on you in this letter, but he knows. He knows, yes, it's a personal letter to Titus, but it's going to get read. I imagine by this point, Paul knows that everything he writes gets read, copied, passed on, passed on, passed on, copied some more, and that's how it ends up being 
taken as the by the Christian community as sacred scripture. That's that's how it happens. These letters would get copied and passed and copied and passed and copied and passed until after a while, lots of Christian communities had a copy of Paul's letter to the Romans and maybe Paul's letter to Titus and that's how and then it got more and more and then you end up with more and more of it being bound up together and passed around so he says grace be with all of you so that my friends is Paul's letter to Titus and what we have done now in the last umpty ump weeks is take a journey through 1st Timothy 2nd Timothy and Titus what are commonly known as the pastoral epistles um, and they're both theological and practical why because you can't you can't pull them apart all of our theology has practical implications to it people who want to who see them as separate things don't really get it they don't get it you know Let's say they'll, they'll say to me things like, well, I don't want to talk about theology. Let's, talk, let's just talk about application. I'm thinking application of what? A few remarks about how you're supposed to live or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? It's practical. It's like the book I have. I think I've showed you it probably by Beth Felker Jones. Practicing Doctrine, she called it. That's her book on Christian theology. Practicing Doctrine. Because you can't pull them apart. The practice and the doctrine. So, anyway, I see Patsy joined. I do too. Just a few minutes ago. When Maybe. do you post this so that if somebody just got on now in, in a little while? Yes, that's right. It. It'll be up on, I'll have it up on YouTube later this afternoon. It'll be ready for podcast. but we are pretty well done with Titus. So that means next week, my friends, yes, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. And if you look at chapter 1 in Isaiah, you will get the problem statement <laughs> for why Jesus, right? Right? Jesus is a solution to what problem? Isaiah chapter 1. So anyway, we will start there next week. We're, all, we're, gonna, we're actually going to begin by looking at Isaiah, the person who we meet in some of the book of Kings. Right? And Isaiah's interaction with the kings of Israel. So we're going to actually get introduced to Isaiah, the person, before we start in on you know, his writings, his messages that, that God sends to him to bring. Okay? Sounds good. Okay. There I am. Too. There you are, oh, Patty. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> okay. So, we need to get Patty in the picture more and me in the picture less. No, there don't we do go. That. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I guess we'll close in prayer then. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got kind of worked up a couple times there, so I need to rest now. Uh, okay, yeah, I just I need to I need to mop my brow. Gary was saying that he uh, really enjoyed that book, and there's Janie Pops is on there. Hi, Janie. Um, so we're gonna close. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of these New Testament writings go kind of unappreciated. 
I mean, I've never done Titus like that. I was like just going to say, you know, you've been doing this a really long time, and this is the first time that you've done it. So Yeah, and like you get into Titus, and you realize, wow, that's where that came from. That's there. That, yes. That's there. It's just great stuff. Yep. Yeah. Great stuff that Paul wants us to hear and to live. Yep. It's funny sometimes just certain things that, you know, like you're saying, certain sayings that you know non-Christian people are saying all the time and they have no idea it's yeah, coming from the Bible. So, is, um, you can look up, they can look that up on a, on websites for famous sayings from particularly the King James Bible, the King James translation that are in English. It's just, you almost can't count them all. Yeah. But they would have no idea. They wouldn't, don't realize from. anymore. Yeah. Where they came from. Okay, my love. Alrighty. Okay. Hi, Bill Brewer. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Bill Brewer. He's, this is that. I know. Yeah, I it's right see there. I see name down there. Yes. Okay, so we're going to close in prayer. I hope to see some of y'all tomorrow for uh, the Gospel of John. And then Sunday, of course, we'll be back at church. Tomorrow and John, we have come to the foot washing. Wow. Yes, yeah. last week we started Palm Sunday. So we're all in that week right now yeah. before... Very powerful. As I was, earlier, I was reading through that, and wow, wow, wow! Have you ever had a person wash your feet in that context? I haven't, but I've seen somebody do it to you in a Bible study that we had one time, and yeah, yeah, it was very. I, you felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, if I that's the it. thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Sure enough. So. Okay. Well, very good. Pray us home, baby. I sure will. Please join me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this group. We thank you, God, for this time to study your word. Um, Lord, at the beginning of this uh, prayer today, the Bible study today, we did lift up a few people. And Lord, I am going to, again, just, we're praying for Sarah, um, who is Carl and Diana Reeves' daughter. And we're just praying, God, that she has come through the surgery well today, Lord. We pray, God, for the skill of all of her doctors and we pray, God, for healing for herself, and we pray, God, for um, just your comfort, God, on her and all of her family. And we are continuing to pray for Mike Sims and Candy, and just asking you, God, to please watch over the both of them and, and help heal um, our friend Mike fully. And we're praying for Cora today, who's with us. And Cora, we're just praying that, you know, God is helping you every day getting through. I know you, you've got you've got your struggles right now so we are praying for you dear lord please hear all these prayers and there are many other prayers gods on our hearts and um you know for sometimes ourselves or our family or our friends we pray god that you would hold each one of us in this group close lord we pray that you would bring us back together safely next monday we pray god for your safety and protection this week in the bad weather we lift up all these prayers to you, God. We are very grateful. We pray it all in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bye, okay. friends. Adios, everybody. See you later. See you later.